0: following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The scripture for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, Chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me.
1: Thank you, Emily. Goodness gracious! Thank you, worship team. Before that, that was awesome. We have a saying around here at Restoration Southside. Let me give you the background of this. So, the saying is to remind us that the very reason that you're in this room is because you have a problem. The sad, sad irony of this is, is that the temptation is to put on our Sunday best, to act like we're talking with our spouses, to act like we haven't just lit up our kids for something small, and to put a smile on our face and walk into this room as if we have it all together. You see that? We're walking into a room which, by being in here, confesses that we don't have it all together, and yet as we walk in, we present two each other and to the world that we do have it all together. And so here at Restoration Southside, we're going to dismantle that time and time again so that you'll know every single person in this room does not have it all together. Many people have been blessed by the ministry of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of the things that's so powerful about it is that you walk in and you confess your name and that you're an alcoholic, you actually feel safe. And do you know why you feel safe? Because everyone in the room has the same problem. That's what we want it to feel like in here is that when you walk in here, whatever it is you're wrestling with and suffering with, you're safe in here because everyone in this room has the same problem. A problem of not following Jesus the way that we would like to. So because of that, we came up with this phrase that we would remind each other all the time. So here, I'm going to say this leader section, and I want you, if you're, especially if you're feeling it today, to put your hand up and say this all section with me right now, okay? Here at Restoration, we like to remind each other, it's okay that I'm not okay. It's okay that I'm not okay. This morning, that's where we find this text, a bunch of people chasing Jesus, and they're not exactly sure why they're chasing Him. Would you pray with me, and let's invite God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank You and I praise You that You have graciously provided a place, Your church, where we can come together and lift up our hands in the air and say, it's okay that I'm not okay. I pray for those this morning that can barely lift their heads because of the shame that is weighing them down over old sins and wounds and even over sins from last night. I pray that your Spirit would move for them to actually believe, for them to actually hold on to that it's okay that they're not okay. And for those of us who have heard known that and heard that so many times that we've gone numb I ask that You by Your Spirit would wake us up that You would free us to stop pretending that we have it all together Father deepen us in our understanding of how broken we are so that we can deepen in our revelry of the grace found in Jesus would You make it so this morning? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Friends, as you get to know me as a preacher, you'll realize that I watch and read and listen to lots of different things. And when I watch and read and listen to something that may offend your sensibilities, please know that everything I mention up here, I'm not recommending that you go home and watch and memorize. I'm just saying that I found something that reminded me of a deeper truth within it. So you still have to be a discerning listener and reader. You have to be a discerning watcher. And if something's not good for you, that's fine. Don't, don't watch it. Don't listen to it. Don't read it. And if you're struggling with that, ask me, and I can help you with some questions that may point out to you whether it's good for you or not. Aaron and I had finished the series Game of Thrones over the last several months. Basically, the whole series was coming to an end. And we hadn't watched any of it, and our small group, who was full of super cool 22- and 23-year-olds, told us, essentially, that we're not cool because we hadn't been watching it. So we're like, I don't know, we've heard one way or the other, and, and they're like, you have to stop this nonsense and watch it. So we started. And it's gritty, and it's inappropriate, and it's ugly, and it's powerful, and it's sad. But my favorite character in the story is Tyrion. In the story, they refer to him as this this son who shouldn't by all rights have been born. He is called a dwarf in the show. And his older siblings are these beautiful people who are powerful and that their dad is actually proud of. And no matter how smart and witty Tyrion is, he doesn't have the respect of his father. He doesn't have um, the respect to be really fully a Lannister. But Tyrion comes to his dad one day and says, please would you make me in charge of Casterly Rock? That's the the least you can do. It's mine by rights. And he's talking to his own father and this is the conversation that they have. I want what is mine by right. Jaime is your eldest son, heir to your lands and titles, but he's a king's guard, so he's forbidden from marriage or inheritance. The day... Janie put on the white cloak he gave up his claim to Casterly Rock I'm your son and lawful heir you want Casterly Rock is mine by right his father Tywin is a cruel man and this is what he says we'll find you accommodations more suited to your name and as a reward for your accomplishments during the battle of Blackwater and when the time is right you will be given a position fit for your talent So that you can serve your family and protect our legacy. And if you serve faithfully, you'd be rewarded with a suitable life. And I would let myself be consumed by maggots. Before mocking the family name and making you heir to Casterly Rock. So making him an heir to Casterly Rock would be mocking the family name. And his son, confused and hurt, looks at him and says, Why? Why? Tywin continues, Why, you ask me? You who killed your mother to come into this world, you who are an ill-made, spiteful little creature, full of envy and lust and low cunning, men's laws give you the right to bear my name and display my color since I can't prove that you aren't mine. And to teach me humility, the gods have condemned me to watch you waddle about wearing that proud lion that was my father's sigil and his father's before him, but neither God nor man will compel me to let you turn Castorly rock into your lady of the night house. It's radio edit right there. Go now and speak no more of your rights to casterly rock. There's a son who's come and he's mustered his strength and his courage to say, treat me like a real son me the rights of a real son. And when he comes to his father not knowing what answer he'll get, his father tells him that he's an embarrassment, that he's not up for it, that he's caused more damage than he'll ever bring good. And I think the reason that that scene stuck so strongly with me, I couldn't shake it loose. For weeks I thought about that scene, and it's honestly, the reason that I thought about it is because all of us battle with that. All of us battle with going to our in heaven and and pleading our merits and pleading our case and we're afraid ultimately that we'll be rejected. You aren't part of this family. You aren't up for it. You've done too much wrong and too little right. It was almost in those moments that I was feeling spiritually what if it's like that on judgment day? You are rejected. You are not part of this family. You have no part in my name. As we follow Jesus, we will wrestle with these realities. We will wrestle with what it feels like to come forward and ask for your birthright. Ask to be accepted as a true son. And as you follow Jesus, you'll begin to experience what it feels like to be given that heir, to be given that inheritance. We're all afraid that when we go, and plead the fact that we're sons or daughters, that we will be rejected. Ultimately, in this passage, Jesus frees us from that fear and says, you can be confident because of Me that you will not be rejected. This morning, we're going to talk about several things. First of all, following Jesus will cost you. Following Jesus will cost you. And then following Jesus will test you. And then following Jesus will bless you. First of all, following Jesus will cost you. It doesn't make sense to follow Jesus if you don't love Him. If you have your order of worship, the text is printed on the back. Glance with me. We're going to look at verses 25, 26, and then verses 34. Following Jesus will cost you. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then look down with me in verse 34. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. You see, these people are following Jesus, so from the outside it looks like, oh, this the group that's going to follow Jesus right along in what he's doing right along in the things that he's going to accomplish it's actually the same group of people where 15,000 people were fed bread and fish in this beautiful miracle that Jesus has done and they find him they track him down even though he and the disciples have crossed the sea and it's the same group of people that had shown up did you hear it in 22 on the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when they saw the crowd that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. The reason that I want you to understand that is because it's important. It's the same group of people who just ate the, the food that Jesus had miraculously given them. It's a, it's a large portion of the same group that He had been given. But we find out quickly within the text, the reason that they're following Jesus is because He can give them bread. It's because Jesus is this magician who all of a sudden can put loaves and fish into a hat and pull out enough for 15,000 people. They're following Jesus because it will get them something in the immediate sense. They're following Jesus because it will profit them They show up, they want this bread, give us this bread that will last forever. They're missing the whole metaphor. And what they show us is that people will follow anything that makes them feel better. People will follow anything that makes them feel better. That's what the crowd is doing, and if we're not careful, that's what we'll do too. We'll follow along and say religious things, and we'll do it all because it makes us feel a little better and feel a little less bad. And feel a little more hope. As if Jesus is this vending machine that if you give him a little following, he will give you a lot of bread. He will give you a lot of comfort. He will give you a lot of hope. People will follow anything that makes them feel better. My friend Rachel sent me an article this week from Vice Magazine. The whole article is about Diego Maradona, who is the world's most famous soccer player until Ronaldo and Messi. And the whole thing, the article is about this sense that people have begun to follow Maradona so much that it's become a religion. And not just in a vague, like, oh, we all like soccer too much, we all like SEC football too much. They actually have a religion. There's this group of people that have considered him a god. This is a quote from the article. This is a temple that unites hundreds of thousands of Maradona fans from around the world. Our religion is soccer. As with all religions, one has to have a God. There's actually a ten commandments of this religion. I'm not kidding. The ball is never soiled. Commandment number one. Love football above all else. Number two. Preach and spread the principles of the church of Maradona. Number eight. Number nine. Name your first son Diego. Number ten. And these people actually gather and they get together and they have services. In fact, this one guy, who the article tracks, had brought his twin daughters to the church of Maradona so that she they could be baptized. Do you know what the daughters' names were? Mara and Donna. Mara and Donna. The point is is that all of us will follow something that makes us feel better. And we'll design our lives and our choices and our decisions around the principles of the thing which support what we're following. What is it in your life that you are following like a religion? Maybe it's the way that your body looks and you will do whatever it takes to have your body look a certain way. Maybe it is making your own name great and in making your name great you de- you decide all of your decisions based upon how can you advance your name maybe it's in getting numb and you just go i don't know what it's all about i just love checking out and i'm going to make all of my decisions and base all of my wisdoms on the fact that i want to check out and be numb you see friends people will follow anything that makes them feel better that's why this huge group of people following jesus it's not that significant they're viewing him as a vending machine that pops out bread and Jesus is saying following me is more than about getting bread. It will cost you. And for those of you who aren't sure if you're following Jesus, I'm so glad you're in this room. But if you're not sure about following Jesus, don't choose this way of following Jesus because it's easy. You will be sorely disappointed. Don't choose following Jesus because it's easy, because he'll give you bread or comfort. Or answer your prayer request whenever you want all the time. Don't choose following this way because it's easy. It will be the greatest thing you've ever experienced, but not because it's easy. And for those of you who follow Jesus already, and yet you're battling and you're warring with the fact that God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers and you feel a little lost and you feel like it shouldn't be this hard, what He's telling His disciples over and over again is it was always going to be this hard. So friends, what I'm telling you is to adjust your expectations. If you're honest, in a calm moment, what we really believe, what you really believe is that God wants me to have a relaxed, happy, fully provided for, enjoyable life. Don't you believe that? One of my friends says, "Following Jesus never leads to a neat and manageable life. Following Jesus never leads to a neat and manageable life. If you're not sure why you follow Jesus, you will be unglued when you suffer." Later, Jesus tells the story of those that the seed that falls on different types of soil, and he's using this to talk about how people will become Christians. What will? them to follow or not follow. And one of the types of soil he talks about, he says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they will quickly fall away. Following Jesus will not lead you to a comfortable life. In Job 13, Job has lost more than many of us will ever have. And he says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. In Acts we find God talking about Saul. And he says about Saul, I will now show him how much he must suffer for my name. And here's this verse in Acts 14 that says this: strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So they're strengthening him, they're encouraging, him, encouraging them to remain true to, the, true to the faith. And the way that they do that is saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. That's what the 15,000 people don't understand. Is They're following Him with their own agenda. They're following Him for bread. They're following Him because they don't have to go and buy bread that day. You see, Moses had given the people bread not just one day, but he had essentially given them bread every single day. And so they're asking this question, Is are you the new Moses? Are you the new bread maker? You gave it to us yesterday. Can you give it to us again today? What are the things that you are looking to get from Jesus as if he is a vending machine? You see, the irony is, is that the signs of following him, when that's how you're viewing him, they'll never be enough anyway. Look at verse 30 and 41 and 52. 30 and 41 and 52. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And then in 52, he says this, Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How this man how can this man give us his flesh to eat? If you have convinced yourself that I would follow Jesus, He would, he would just give me another sign. If He would just answer this one prayer request, if he, if he would give me a sign, if it would be right in front of my eyes, if I could look at it and touch it with my hands, then I would believe. And I hate to take that from you, but friends, there's 15,000 people are standing there and He's just fed them off of a little boy's lunch. And they're like, but what sign? What else can you do? What other tricks do you have up your sleeve? What else could you possibly do to help us to believe? And ultimately what he's exposing is that true following Jesus is about faith. It's not about seeing. If it were about seeing, everyone would do it. It's about believing in the Son. That's actually what he's going to talk about next. My friend in high school, we played soccer together for four years, he was a great soccer player, and he had this disease, and the medicine could fix him, but the problem with the medicine in his stomach is that the medicine would kill all of the nerve endings on the inside of his stomach. So for a teenage boy to be able to not know when he was full was a serious problem. And so we would go to these Chinese buffets, These just fill ourselves with food, and we knew when it was time to eat because he would eat enough to throw up, and then we would get up, go pay our bills, and leave. But no matter how full he would make himself, he couldn't feel it. And for us, I think that's what it's like living in our society. We're hungry for experience, whether it's craft beer or whether it's the perfect innovative job or whether it's a relationship that's fun and relaxed, but also exciting, but also kind of independent. Or whether it's a career that I'll be proud of for years and years and years, or just keep taking and taking and taking, thinking certainly someday we'll feel full. And you and I both know in the quiet emptiness of the morning, it feels hollow. And we have to do it all over again. And Jesus is pointing them to something more. He says... What must we do? What do the works of God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the One He has sent. To believe in the One He has sent. You see, following Jesus will also test you. Following Jesus will also test you. There they are looking for a sign. And Jesus is saying, put your weight on Me. If you want... Put your weight on Me and see if I can hold you. Following Jesus will test what you really believe. You see, the second He doesn't give them any more bread, they bail. This guy isn't someone we can rely on. And what Jesus is saying, rather than look for earthly things, look for spiritual things, test Me. And He says, the reason that you can test Me is it says, you follow Me. You believe in Me. Believe that I'm the one sent from the Father but for us religious people we don't get this as well look at those verses again verse 29 to 31 Jesus answered them this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent the work of God, the thing that you need to do is to believe in the one whom God sent. And that is simultaneously too hard for us and too easy for us. It's too hard for us because we don't like putting our weight on anything. We don't like feeling that dependence on anything in order to make it through the day. And it's too easy for us because we think surely there's got to be more to it than that. And that's why we pray and we try and stomp out our sin and we try and do very and we try and earn our way in. We want to do more than just believe. We want to carry our weight. But then we can't quite keep up with it and so we feel guilty and so we shame ourselves. But we want to do more than just believe. And He is saying, instead of wearing yourselves out, put your trust in Me. If you are lonely, Jesus can fill you. Your career has been a disappointment. Jesus can fill you. Your marriage is conflicted. Jesus can fill you up. You're not the parent you hoped you'd be. Jesus can fill you up. Jesus can fill you up. He can take away that gnawing hunger. But you have to put your faith in Him. Now, faith in two different ways. One, in the sense of all those That follow Jesus have to continue to put our faith in Him. That's what repentance is, is that we're taking our faith that we've put on something else and we're actually turning and putting it back on Jesus. So there's a part of which you do that all the time. But there's also this faith which is a one-time thing where you say I don't know where this story leads and I don't even know what I'm doing. But I'm, I'm betting on Him. I'm putting my faith in Him that a world where He will meet my needs, where I will know experience spiritual hunger and thirst and emptiness. That's a world I want to live in, even though I don't know where the road leads. He's telling you to put your trust in the son. That's how he's testing you. He's saying, put your trust in me. Let's see if you're disappointed. You're a Christian long enough. You start to hear these people who have just gone through these horrible sufferings, these things that would make us think, oh, how, how do you even still get out of bed in the morning? And it's that same group of people who said, oh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Jesus has become so sweet to me and for me. Following Jesus will test you. But lastly, following Jesus will bless you. Following Jesus will bless you. Look with me in 32 through 40 and 53 fifty nine, this is where he's going to describe to you what it means, what you'll get if you ask Jesus to open your heart, to trust in him. 32 through 40, it says this. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is one who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. He says in 36, I said to you that you've seen Me, yet you don't believe. All that the Father gives will come to Me, and whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from Heaven not to do My will, but the will of Him who sent Me. For this is the will who sent Me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given Me, but raise it up on the last day. He says similar things in 53. You don't have that before you, but you can listen. Truly I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever what he says in verse 58. So Jesus saying, following Jesus, it'll challenge you, it'll test you, but it will also bless you. It will bless you. It's saying that you'll live forever. In verse 54, it says you'll live forever. For us, forever is this terrifying thought of Life that goes on and on and on, and we're all in angels' clothes, and we're singing in a choir forever, and it's going to be awful. It's a terrifying thought to live forever. But what he's saying is that it will be so good. No eye has seen nor mind can imagine what is coming for those. It'll, it'll be this outlandishly fantastic party forever. and goes on forever and ever in which there's no sadness or grief or hurt or woundedness anymore that's what he offers you. so whatever you're facing now will seem small in comparison it'll seem like a drop in the bucket and not only that it'll give you a union with Christ it'll unite your life in his life now. he says he will live in him and he will live in you. He abides in you. One of my teachers says this in Christ you are accepted but that acceptance no longer has to be earned or maintained. It is granted by grace and guaranteed in Christ. This doesn't mean you stop working. Listen to this. But it does mean you now work in a totally new way. You no longer work for approval. You work from approval. Isn't that what we want? As we're sons and daughters looking for the inheritance, looking for the keys to the kingdom, looking for meaning for life, and we work so hard, we wear ourselves out so that we'll finally have approval. We won't be rejected. And he's saying, You already have my approval. You already have it. You will never be rejected. This week, Ginny Mackey told me the story. She works at Chattanooga Prep School, which is this incredible charter school that gathers up kids who can't afford a better better education for boys, and it turns them into this like fantastic machine and culture that just loves guys well and teaches them to be thoughtful and restrained and brilliant and there's this one boy this week we'll call him Michael Michael was up for an award but he didn't know about it Michael's a sixth grader but he reads at a first grade level and every Thursday morning all the teachers gather and all the principals gather And as they gather, they give out the GRIT belt. The GRIT belt. So you can imagine all these middle school boys, it's the GRIT belt, like the WWE. And GRIT stands for going beyond. The R stands for respectful. The I stands for instruction, meaning you were paying attention during class. The T stands for transition. And it's all of these boys who most of them haven't been able to win some sort of award by playing on some club team, and they're sort of used to not getting award not getting recognized. And this boy who reads at a first grade level in sixth grade. And the principal's building it all up. And he's talking about how this kid, even when other kids are struggling to read, he'll he'll throw shine at him. It's going like this. I got your back. We're with you. He'll give him some shine. And so when his friends who struggle through reading are reading brokenly in class, this little kid stands up and does this. That he tries, even though he doesn't know how to read, he still volunteers in class. And he barely speaks English. And it's this little guy and he's trying so hard to find his way. And finally the principal announces that Michael, this little guy, has won the grit belt. And everybody starts throwing shine on this kid and doing this. And he barely speaks enough English so he doesn't even know that he's won this award. And yet all his friends start turning to him and cheering for him. Imagine a room full of your peers cheering for you and saying amidst all of the things that you think held you back, you're accepted here among us. You're one of us. You can come here. And then they all start chanting. All these boys start chanting, nothing can stop him. He's all the way up. He's all the way up. Jenny said the teachers sit in the back of the classroom and weep because who didn't think He was acceptable, who didn't think He had brothers around Him, who didn't think He was going to go anywhere. He's fully accepted. He's been given the award. He's one of them now. And ultimately, that's what Jesus is saying for you is He's saying, you put your trust in Me. You put your trust in Me. And the life ahead of you will be harder than you think, but nothing will stop you because I am with you. And you're one of us now, and you have each other now. You'll never be rejected. Friends, can you experience never being rejected again? It's hard for me when I go to shake someone's hand and they don't see it, and you're sort of just standing there, and then you're like... Imagine the rejection that Tyrion felt. You're not a true son. You're not a good boy. What the Gospel is telling you is when you put your trust in the Son you are accepted and not just accepted now you will never be rejected again you will never hunger and thirst for meaning again you are with Christ and Christ is with you friends that's what we learn from following Jesus is that yes it's going to be challenging it will cost you It will test you, but my friends, trust me when I say it will bless you. And the reason that it will bless you, the reason that he talks about all this stuff with the eating of the flesh and the drinking of the blood and why he's the new Moses and he can provide the bread, the reason that it's so beautiful isn't this thing that he's giving out willy-nilly and it's not going to cost him anything. This is a picture of the last days. It's in Isaiah and it's a picture of the last days when Jesus and all of his followers who have gone through all of their costs and all of their tests, and they've been blessed, and they're sitting at this glorious dining room table, and they're sitting there with Jesus. And it says this, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich feast of food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines, and on this mountain He will destroy the shout that enfolds all people, the sheep that covers all nations. What do you think The shroud that covers all people. The sheet that covers all nations. At the dinner table, He will eat death. It says He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. He will remove His people's disgrace from all the earth. What He's saying, friends, is that if you put your trust in Me, death can't come get you. Rejection won't come get you. You'll be welcome at My table and I Myself will eat death so that you'll never experience it. We'll close with this. One of my favorite movies is Cinderella Man. It's a story about a boxer from many, many years ago. It's a time during the Depression. And he's trying to raise his kids, and he's trying to work in the yard, the lumber yard. And he's trying to be a boxer on the side so that he can provide enough food for his kids. They've emptied all their groceries. They've emptied all their cabinets. There's nothing much left. And his little daughter gets up with him and his wife and they're talking sweetly in the morning. And his daughter's so hungry that she she plows through all of her food really quickly. His wife sets down this big piece of ham right in front of him that he could eat before he goes off and works for the day. Just in time for his little daughter to say, Mama, I want some more. And she says, no, baby, we got to save some for the boys. Russell Crowe's character sits back and goes, oh, I'm stuffed. Even though he hasn't had a bite. He said, you know, may I dreamed last night that I was having dinner at the Ritz with Mickey Rooney and George Raft. And I dreamed I had a steak, a thick, juicy steak. And I had a mountain of mashed potatoes. And I went back for ice cream three times And I'm stuffed and I'm absolutely full. Would you give me a hand? He says, I'll take the hunger. You eat. And I'm not saying Jesus tells fibs to sneak us food. But I'm telling you that Jesus has that compassion that He will go hungry so that you can eat. He will taste death so that you can taste life. He will taste rejection so that you will taste acceptance. Nothing else you chase will give you that. He will go hungry so that you will never go hungry again. Following Jesus will cost you something. It will test your limits. And it will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Whether it's for the first time, for the thousandth time. Let's follow Him together. Let's pray. we confess that we often follow You because what it will get us instead of gladly picking up our crosses following You because of what it will cost us. We ask that You would help by Your Holy Spirit those who have never put their trust in You to do so now. And we ask for those of us who have done it so many times that You would help us to do it again. That You'll always welcome us back to Your table. That you experience rejection so that we could experience acceptance. Father, help us to trust that you are for us. Help us to live in those blessings, but not hog them for ourselves. Share them with those around us. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.